0: Okay, welcome to Rewired Podcast. I'm Bailey. And I'm Kelly. And we are sisters who are basically like the ultimate
1: fangirls of The Wire. We are here to start the conversation because there is a lack of fandom for The Wire that we've noticed. Uh, just not enough conversation going on about uh, how awesome this show is. Yeah, especially not on
0: podcasts. Mm-hmm. When I like looked up The Wire podcasts, I thought there'd be like hundreds, but mm-hmm. there's like four.
1: There's some scholarly material, there's lots of think pieces online, uh, there's just not anything that's a a dialogue, and that's what we're we're really after. So we're here to talk to you, and we're here to talk to each other and about the wire. And we're not
0: just doing like we're not just gonna do hashtag spoiler alert. Like we're not just running through the episodes. We're gonna look at it from like a really critical literary analysis.
1: Mm -hmm. What we're here to do is look at the wire as a piece of text. Um, It's been hailed as the most well-executed piece of television in history, which I certainly agree with, Um, but it's really just a smart smart piece of text. So we want to look at the symbolism, the metaphors, the imagery, and lots more, and uh, really talk about why those choices were made by the creative team. So one of the reasons that we're starting this project, in addition to wanting to get that conversation going, is that The Wire is interesting because it existed just before binge watching television was really quite popular and a normal way to get through a series. When people were watching the original run of The Wire, they were tuning into HBO week after week, and what's fascinating about that is that they were waiting those full seven days between episodes, which I know that if I was doing that, I would miss out on a lot of those really tiny details that tie one episode and one season to the next, totally. And they were, not when, I mean,
0: when The Wire was on television, it wasn't like there was like a conversation happening online
1: as it aired, like there are right. with shows
0: now. Like, yeah, Being there was Ron. no, there was
1: no Twitter to talk about what happened last week. There wasn't really, you know, forums for these types of things. So we're going to do that a little bit retrospectively, but also more importantly, we want to talk about why re-watching The Wire later is rewarding.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I think probably it wasn't until the third time that I re-watched season one, episode one, that I noticed that when Landsman says to McNulty, well, where don't you want to go, as a joke, when he's talking about like how McNulty is literally screwing himself, mm-hmm. uh, McNulty says, I don't want to go on the boat but it's forgotten about until the end of the the end of the episode when Freeman has warned McNulty about when they ask you where don't you want to go keep your mouth shut so at the end of it when uh, Major Rawls says to McNulty where don't you want to go it, he does keep his mouth shut but
1: season two episodes of him riding the boat right so that's a really good point uh, The Wire wasn't written as a show that was intended to be binge watched because that wasn't a thing that existed but it's so fascinating the way that that is the way the show is best enjoyed is if you watch episode after episode after episode, uh, which is definitely the way that we do it and that we encourage everyone else to do it.
0: Yeah, so, and I think most people. I mean, David Simon has said that at the time the wire aired, people weren't like people weren't really talking about it. It no. isn't until now that we have been watching binge watching available to us that
1: people are really like crazy about the wire yeah and when it's not even on Netflix so that speaks to the, the way people are after it
0: so one of the most exciting things about podcasts is that there's a lot of
1: audience interaction and we want to interact with you guys hmm this is a dialogue we want to start a conversation Bailey and I have talked to each other about the wire enough we love doing that but we want to hear from other people that are rabid fans the way that we are yeah so we've got Twitter and we've got email. so we want you to send us your questions our Twitter is at rewired podcast or you can email us podcast at gmail.com
0: and like we want to do bonus episodes and and really like you know tell us your favorite moments tell us those like those things that made you think wow this
1: is so much better than Breaking Bad Absolutely, and that's an episode in and of itself, so stay tuned for that one. We will definitely have the Breaking Bad versus the Wire debate. Yeah. Episode one is, who is McNulty? Who is McNulty? What's he all about? Is he tragic? Is he a hero? Does he get redemption in the end? What literary figures is McNulty? So listen in for that one, and we, we hope to hear from you. Yeah. Way down in the hole. Here we go.
0: Alright, welcome to episode one of Rewired. I'm Bailey, I'm Kelly, and we're talking today about probably, I guess, arguably the most central character in The Wire, McNulty.
1: McNulty is, although this is an ensemble cast, McNulty is the lens through which we see a lot of The Wire. He is kind of our um, entri- entrance point
0: Welcome to Rewired Podcast Episode 1. I'm Bailey. And I'm Kelly. And today we're talking about, I would say, probably the most central figure of The Wire, McNulty.
1: McNulty, even though this is an ensemble cast, McNulty is our entry point into The Wire, especially in Season 1, Episode 1. He is how we get introduced to the world of The Wire.
0: Um, And since we're talking about The Wire in the context of examining it as like a literary text, uh, I think that we decided to talk about McNulty as a tragic hero archetype.
1: Mm -hmm. And we didn't come to this just, you know, out of nowhere. I'm going to quote an article from Variety magazine um, in which the author writes, According to Simon, and that's David Simon, the creator, the best way to understand The Wire is to think Greek, not the nefarious Greek characters who dominate the illicit trade in Baltimore's ports, but the storytelling tradition of the ancient Greek tragedies, where the heroes and antiheroes always face a dramatic downfall. So that gives us a little bit of context, um, and there's there's plenty of think pieces about how The Wire closely mirrors a lot of Greek tragedies.
0: and. It, so heroes and anti-heroes and then the tragic hero. Like I remember talking about the tragic hero in like grade ten English. Um, is is the anti-hero the same as a tragic hero? Is a hero the same as a tragic hero, or are they just totally different things altogether?
1: I'd say that the anti-hero and the tragic hero are synonyms. Okay. Um those are really the same thing, and then a hero is kind of something else entirely. But the the key to the tragic hero especially when we look at it in terms of Aristotelian tropes is that the tragic hero has flaws. Okay. So Okay, so
0: that was Kelly that just said Aristotelian and she is going to have
1: to explain that term to me because I've never heard it. Basically, Aristotelian just means from the philosophies of Aristotle, who we know to be no classic Greek philosopher
0: okay cool so in talking about literature who are some like classic tragic heroes who like if for those of us that didn't get past really high school English
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, well one classic example would be Oedipus from Oedipus Rex okay Um, another would be Macbeth okay um, maybe getting a little bit more contemporary. I think we could probably say that Jay Gatsby is a tragic hero. Interesting. Um and then there's lots of examples from television as well. Uh, Tony Soprano from The Sopranos. Um I would say that Jack from Lost is a tragic hero. Okay. I, I haven't watched The Sopranos or Lost, but um so it was a little bit of
0: Shakespearean. It's not just a, a uniquely Greek thing. There's other, like, this
1: is an archetype that we see across the board. That's right. It's not just Greek, but um, I think for the purposes of talking about McNulty, it's useful to hone in on the six characteristics that Aristotle derived um, for what a Greek tragic hero is.
0: Okay. Okay, hubris, so excessive pride.
1: Excessive pride. And I think it's pretty clear that Jimmy McNulty has excessive pride, especially because he thinks that he is above, you know, following the rules mm-hmm. at work, in his marriage, yeah. um, with everything, really.
0: Is it Rawls that says he always thinks he's the smartest fuck in the room and for a while when he was working with those other detectives, he was?
1: Oh, Rawls probably does say that, yeah, I, I don't remember Rals.
0: that, but. It's when Landsman and Rawls are having a conversation and Landsman is trying to argue that uh, Jimmy should, this is early in season one, that Jimmy hasn't, you know, totally destroyed everything and he's, this is the, the reasonable man conversation. hmm um, Or it leads to the reasonable man conversation when Rawls says, am I reasonable? Landsman says, very reasonable. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think it's, his pride is pretty clear.
1: Yeah, and other characters call him out on it. Especially, I would say, Daniels and Freeman Mm -hmm. make a point of, of telling McNulty that that pride will ruin him. Do you think, so let's jump to season
0: five, um, where... Jimmy and Freeman together make up this serial killer, but it was, you know, it's ultimately Jimmy's idea. Do you think that's an example of his, his pride? Like he, he thinks he's so much better than everybody else that he like.
1: Yeah, I think so. He thinks he's, career. he's smarter than the system. He's smarter than the detectives that he works with. Um, that's what makes him do that. Yeah. So the next characteristics is the peripetia, which is reversal of fate that the hero experiences. Interesting. Um, And I think there's a great moment when, in season three, Stringer gets caught by McNulty on the phone. And Mm -hmm. McNulty experiences sort of the highest high, but then Stringer ultimately gets killed by Omar. And then it's like, McNulty's like, I had him, and he doesn't even know it.
0: Yeah, and he kind of, like, then, I think in The Wire, certainly for Seasons 1, 2, and 3, it, was, it is always it has always been about the Barksdale group, even in Season 2 when he's working the cases on the docks. It's Stringer and Avon, and, well, when Stringer and Fat Joe have that conference, or Prop Joe, not Fat Joe, that's a rapper. Um, When Prop Joe and Stringer are seen having that conference, um, that's, you know, it sucks McNulty right in. So when Stringer is killed without McNulty ever, like, getting his, like, moment of triumph, I guess. Mm -hmm, Which would be, like, a classic hero thing, right? Like, in a regular, not tragic hero, just a regular hero, they have that, like, moment where they catch the bad guy or overcome or save.
1: Well, and it's worth noticing that... That They never get that in The Wire. Like, even in season two, when they go to bust the,
0: mm. um, the
1: Greeks' stash house, you know, by the time they get there, it's two minutes too late. Everything's been washed down the drain. Like, they're just... They're always just a bit behind, even when they have cracked the case. Yeah. It's just a bit too late.
0: Yeah. Which is even something that McNulty says in episode one. Or, sorry, not episode one, in season one. He says, in this case, we're always... A little too slow, mm
1: mm-hmm. so, uh, interesting, so the following characteristic is anagnorisis. that's the moment when the hero makes an important discovery in the story
0: so that's an that's kind of a hard one for me to think of a specific example for Jimmy.
1: yeah, it's hard for me to think of an example as well because it seems like there's like multiple throughout the course of his, his story arc mm-hmm. I mean the, the one about Stringer using the business line as well, you know that's how he finds Stringer Bell mm-hmm. that might be one example yeah
0: Well, it's uh, just going back to, to thinking about um, that moment where he has the change of fate and uh, one of the detectives asks Kima how did McNulty take it when he found out Stringer was killed and she says like he was kin like he was like like Stringer was Kin. Yeah. Um. And Kelly, you're actually like qualified to do a critical literary analysis of something. You have a master's degree in English. That's true.
1: I have a master's degree in English, and that's what got me really hooked on the wire was that I started watching it just shortly after finishing my degree. And I was really amazed at how smart the show was in terms of what it was doing in terms of literary devices. Um, So that's why I stuck with it. But Bailey, to your credit, you're the one who got me into the show, and you have some serious wire cred under your belt. I have watched.
0: I've watched the entire series. I would say at least three times, Um, and I've watched seasons one, two, and three probably six or seven times each. Mm -hmm. So you've watched it all a number of times. What's your favorite season and why? I think my favorite season is season four. Um, I think that's a pretty popular opinion if you look online when people talk about like best seasons. Uh, I think you know
1: number four really pulls on the heartstrings. Mm -hmm. You know the kids. Yeah and they got some really brilliant child actors and I think some of them were local to Baltimore. Yeah. I'd, yeah.
0: Well, um, the actor who played Kima, she ended up staying in Baltimore to work with a lot of the kids that they worked with. So Wow. Yeah. So I think, yeah. Season, season four is pretty... I, I love the politics of season three because I loved West Wing and I love a good political drama and they did a good job of that
1: in, in season three, but mm-hmm. season four is my favorite. What's your favorite season? my favorite season is definitely season two even though that's not the popular choice of the general public season two i think is the smartest season the saddest season and i like that it's the most standalone season you could pluck that out of the whole series and you could probably still um really have a, a smart piece of literature in and of itself it's definitely the most intelligent season mm-hmm. of season two and i love frank savodka
0: Frank black is wonderful he's a wonderful man
1: Chris Bauer, we hope to get you on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> hashtag goals. Um, OK. So Aristotle lists six characteristics that define a tragic hero. And so we can look for these characteristics in somebody like McNulty. So I'll, I'll say them all, and then we'll kind of go through them one by one. So there's hemartia, which is a tragic flaw. Hubris, which is excessive pride and disrespect. For natural order, peripatia, the reversal of fate that the hero experiences, anagnoresis, which is the moment when the hero makes an important discovery, nemesis, which is a fortune that protagonist cannot avoid, and then there's catharsis, which are feelings of pity and fear that the audience feels the, for the protagonist.
0: Interesting. So I guess. I, probably why we see the tragic hero so often in literary or television or movies or whatever um, is that it's it's kind of a more interesting hero like if if our heroes are flawed maybe we can relate to them better or it makes them
1: yeah I think that's one of the key elements of the tragic hero is that we can relate to them better right
0: because if they were all
1: just Superman
0: although I guess he has a flaw right I don't. Or whatever, I don't know <laughs> uh, okay well never mind about Superman let's talk about McNulty so the first one you mentioned
1: Hamartia which is the tragic flaw that causes downfall of a hero right
0: so I think that McNulty has a couple of, of tragic flaws uh, what do you think his biggest one is Kel
1: well I mean we have to talk about the alcohol use Mm -hmm. because they make a real point of that in the wire that his drinking is at odds with his ability to do the job well. Right.
0: And I think he also has a real lack of respect for, you You said something about a natural
1: order, right? Mm -hmm. So that would be the hubris, which is excessive pride. Oh, I skipped it. No, that's okay. Okay,
0: uh, Okay. so, yeah, I think alcohol is definitely one, but his, his disrespect of the rank and file.
1: Yeah, and maybe just his, his love for the game, for being pursuant of crimes. I mean, it ruins his marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes him, you know, disrespect the, the positions that he's put in. Like, you know, he won't accept his role on the boat because of it.
0: Yeah, it's true. Well, and I think, like, in, in season two, in the episode, all prologue, uh, Jimmy says, Elena and I are going to try again. Uh, I'm done fucking myself up. And I think he, like, he, then he when he's talking to Elena about getting back together, he talks about his job on the boat and how... You know, he's not doing murders anymore, he's just doing straight-up policing, which of course then mirrors in season four when he's just another beat cop. How his, like, love of the game and pursuing of uh, the crimes and the murders, uh, he he thinks that that's what's going to fix him, is if he stops being a murder police.
1: Yeah, and I mean, as we see, that doesn't really fix him or work Mm -hmm. because he can't stop being a murder police. Um, there's a great McNulty line, and I I can't remember the episode that it's from, but he he says, um, maybe it's the same things that make me good for this job, make me bad for everyone else.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so, yeah, and I think definitely, at least in season four, we see that the boozing goes hand in hand with being a murder police. Mm-hmm. Like, because in season four is really when he cleans up his act, but... But he, he well,
1: I mean, that almost makes me think that his boozing isn't the fatal flaw because when he's boozing is also when he's working cases. So That's I don't true. know. When he's at his best policing. Yeah. Um,
0: okay, great. Well, okay, so let's talk about hubris since I jumped again and got us there anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. So hubris is excessive pride and disrespect of hero for natural order. So.
0: Right, so what's the fourth quality of um, A Tragic Hero?
1: The fourth quality is agnoresis. And that's a critical discovery. A critical discovery, moment of recognition. Um, So I think when it comes to McNulty, one good moment to think about is when he realizes that Bodhi has been killed.
0: Mm, So in season four, he's kind of developed a relationship with Bodhi. um, And then... Bodie's killed by Marlowe's crew.
1: Mm-hmm. And all through season four, McNulty had been getting you know, closer to Bodie um, and working the beat and really turned himself around. He was sober. He was living with Beatty. So things were going well for McNulty in season four.
0: Right, but then when he finds out Bodie's been killed, he decides he has to go back to the major crimes unit.
1: Yeah, the line that he says is that he feels he owes it to the kid.
0: And we know that when he's working the major crimes, as he even says when he's talking about getting back with Elena, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing the murder policing anymore. We, I think that we always see McNulty take a huge downfall when he starts these, like, huge cases. Yeah,
1: but he realizes when he is faced with Bodie's death, like, he has to work major crimes. So that kind of brings us back to
0: that fatal flaw that he has which is his pursuing the love of the game the love of the, the, the hunt mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah that's the fatal flaw for sure. And that brings us back so I think it's important to note too like we're not these four or sorry the six stages or the six qualities they're not in order like
1: they're, yeah. not, a, they're not a story arc. Right we don't want to put a you know a complete blueprint and say that The Wire and McNulty follow these you know, to the T. These are just qualities that he exhibits at various points over the course of his existence in The Wire.
0: Making him a tragic hero.
1: Yes. So following uh, that quality, the next one is Nemesis. And this is one that's kind of a funny one because in Nemesis in common lexicon, you know, most people use it to mean enemy or um, adversary, but it's it's something quite different when it comes to Literature, right. So, in the Aristotelian definition, it's a fortune that the protagonist cannot avoid, usually due to rep- retribution of his hubris.
0: Okay, so I think then the going back to the Major Crimes Unit after mcnult or after Bodhi is killed is a pretty good, like, yeah, that's a he perfect was example. Destined to go, like, this is his destiny: is
1: to be this kind of cop. Yeah, with these like. And if we think about it in relation to the hubris, it was his excessive pride and disrespect for natural order. You know, we know those things to be true. And because he exhibits those qualities, he'll never be able to stop major crimes. Right. Because he's so proud of his own, you know, sense of smarts and sense of ability to solve crimes. Mm
0: -hmm. It's interesting to me, like, despite his pride, how, how, like guilty, he can feel too. Like, it's like he knows right from wrong, but he just can't help himself. He can't help
1: himself, yeah. Okay, what's quality six? Uh, catharsis. Another one that has been a little bit bastardized um, in public. It's uh, feelings of pity and fear that the audience feels for the protagonist after his downfall. That's the Aristotelian definition.
0: Okay, and it's interesting, like because with with McNulty, I think as we watch him, we we do feel a sense of pity for him because we know like he wants to do well, and like but we see like him reflected in all these other different ways, like when when um, when Kima is shot in season one, and Rawls says to him like, you know, Jimmy's clearly super torn up about it, and Rawls says to him like this is not your fault and I, I hate you. So like,
1: if it was, I would tell you. Yeah,
0: You know, and it's like, we, I feel like Jimmy has this like, such a lack of self-preservation that it makes you pity him because as I, like it's, it's like, yeah. he just can't help himself. Well,
1: and Landsman even says that to him in season two. Um, self-preservation, something you never learn, Jimmy. Yeah. So I think that's why we feel sorry for him. and in command. Yeah. He, uh, he can't, save himself. Yeah. Well, and I think maybe
0: for for some people too, like his lack of respect for the chain of command and his like blatant disregard for it is something that we all can like empathize with. Like not a lot of people enjoy being told what to do and like we all have, you know, these bosses or you know, people in charge of our lives that are controlling and that kind of thing and I think yeah, it's interesting to think about how we can relate to McNulty on that level too.
1: Yeah, well and also McNulty proves that he's good police and so we want him on these major cases even though it's bad for him personally. Yeah,
0: so I guess, I mean, it, certainly in the the storyline of The Wire, season five is that kind of final act. There So much so that they even do a wake for Jimmy because he just gets himself like fired so yeah. aggressively, and it, it all goes back to
1: his lack of respect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I never thought about that. It's, the wake that they do for Jimmy is very symbolic.
0: Yeah, because well, and actually, since we know that his like one true quality is that he has to be a murder police when they when they when he's no longer in, on the police force because he's so fired for <laughs> inventing a serial killer. You know that is not. That's really a, a death for him. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. he, who is he without? He can't police be who he
1: truly is. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, okay, so McNulty, the tragic hero. Mm-hmm. And we've gone through a lot with McNulty, but he's also not the only tragic hero. There, I mean, there's arguments online for Freeman, Sabotka, Ziggy. I mean, lots of tragic heroes in the wires, So you can see these uh, Aristotelian characteristics in, in all sorts of characters.
0: And I think too, uh, we're gonna talk more in, in other later episodes about you know, masculinity and uh, I think too about least likable characters, but even when we list some of the least likable characters, like I would call Ziggy a highly unlikable character, but I, there are still these moments where you really feel for him and feel pity for him and can
1: relate yeah, I mean, I don't dislike Ziggy, but...
0: <laughs> You've got a a soft spot for all of the sabotkas. All though. the
1: sabotkas, yes, I do.
0: Yeah, and I think, yeah, Uncle Frank could definitely be a really tragic yes, hero. Yes, he's very tragic. One thing I think we should probably also note um, is that tragic doesn't necessarily mean that they end in tragedy, per se, right? Yeah, not necessarily. Right? It's tragic in the sense of, like, this is just the the arc of their qualities or whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay, great. All right. Well, Bailey, why don't you tell us what we're talking
0: about next episode? In the next episode, we're talking about
1: uncrossable thresholds. Amazing. Uh,
0: Yeah. Well, it's... it's,
1: a lot of your ideas <laughs> so you're, you might be better to tell us about where that episode is going well we're going to talk about uncrossable uncrossable thresholds and inescapability in the wire nice okay join us next time and Way don't forget to hole. tweet us yeah
0: let's just call this a day <laughs> and start the ending again <laughs> Okay, so that's McNulty as a tragic hero, and uh, as we said, there's quite a few other examples of tragic heroes in The Wire. Mm -hmm. In the next episode, we're going to talk about uncrossable thresholds in The Wire.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk about some some imagery and some references towards the county as a kind of specter in in the lives of these characters and the inability to cross over the threshold. So that's going to be a good discussion. Great. Uh, don't forget to tweet us. We're at Rewired Podcast. Or you can email us, rewired at gmail.com. And uh, this broadcast was produced by us, Bailey Reed and Kelly Reed. And uh, thank you for listening.